This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Okay, Sonny, like all good podcasts here at Grown Up Rock Central, sometimes we get ideas or we have thoughts for shows and we have to like quickly roll left or roll right or adjust or, or do whatever. And originally I came up with this thought and said, uh, hey, we're going to talk about debut albums by bands we love or, or the best debut albums. And it turns out that back in 2020, October of 2020, we did a debut album episode. So I didn't want to get into all that again. And we kind of came up with this sort of, well, it's going to be really sort of a different discussion. And this time the listeners are involved. And I'm sort of excited to get into this. We got a lot going on today. Are you doing all right, man? You, you okay? I am doing good, right? It's a new year, so all is good here. I got a busy, busy year, so I'm just kind of taking it in, in stride. Yeah, you really got a busy year. I got a lot coming up. Uh, we got a lot of changes in the family and things are happening, but the Grown Up Rock roller coaster is rolling again, and we are here to record content, and so that's exactly what we're going to do, and we're going to do it just like we've always done it. Before we get too deep in the sticks with this debut album discussion, you know we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so it's early January, and tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from what? Another Swedish band. The band Arctic Rain is releasing their new album, Unity, on January 27th. The lineup consists of Tobias Johnson on vocals, Magnus Berglund on guitars, Casper on keyboards, Gert on bass, and Richard on drums. And I'm going to keep it at a first-name basis so that I don't butcher it any more than I need to. Check out this new release and this new song from Arctic Rain. This one is called Fire In My Eyes. I cannot break you 
So I listened to the song today. I didn't know the album was coming out, so I, I listed it. Tobias can sing. There is absolutely no doubt homie's got a voice. The riff is great. Guitar is great. Chorus is great. Pre-chorus is meh. The verses, meh. It's like when the song started, I was like, all right. Then it got to the verse. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> then it went to the pre-chorus. I'm like, oh, no. And then the chorus saved it. I'm like, oh, hey. Right? So there was pieces of the song I liked, but I didn't love the entire presentation, if that makes sense. Now, these guys ended up in your top 10 a few years back, did they not? Yeah. I don't know if they ended up in the top 10. I can't remember. I never remember that stuff. But I remember talking about Arctic Rain before because Tobias's voice is so good, right? So, you know, when you're doing the songwriting, like not everybody's Desmond Child all the time. Even Desmond Child ain't Desmond Child all the time, right? So there's just some times where it's like, oh, that got a little different. That's 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 a little weird. Okay. I, I, maybe I got to listen to it a couple of times because I'll tell you the two Winery Dog songs that have been released lately. I'm like, ooh, that first one was okay. Thank God the second one was better at first listen. But, you know, after I listened to it a while, maybe I changed my mind. Yeah, so this Arctic Rain song, is it enough for you to uh, check out the album when it comes out? Oh, Tobias Alone. Tobias Alone is worth checking out the album. Like, I didn't like Animal Drive when I first heard it, but the vocal alone, I'm like, oh, I got to go listen. Like, there's no way. And then I loved it, right? So something's got to hook me, and Tobias here has hooked me. Oh, man, that Animal Drive hooked me from the get-go. But Yeah. Uh, well, good. Okay. That's the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, Arctic Rain, their new album, Unity, out on January 27th. If you liked what you heard, go check out more and go pick up some product from our friends Arctic Rain over there in Sweden. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So, <laughs> Stephen comes up with this idea. I'm out of town while I'm getting the text about the idea. I'm like, all right, let me think about it, blah, 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 blah. Come home, pull up the computer to open up a form, and there's already a form labeled top 10 deb debut albums. I'm like, what? So, I go to the form. I'm like, oh, my God, we've already done this episode. So, Stephen came up with the idea. He's like, all right, well, because the listeners had already answered – Let's look at what they've got and let's see who agrees with what, who chose the same, that kind of thing. I will tell you, I had, I think there was 75 answers on the first day. There was a hundred when I took the snapshot that a hundred people shared their like top, I would say anywhere between one to 10 top rock debut albums and it's still coming. But you know, at some point I got to take a snapshot to be able to talk about it. Right. So when I took the snapshot, those hundred people had mentioned 160 different albums. <laughs> So when you get, well, first of all, I can tell you, Brian Cramp right out of the gate said impossible, but definitely not any of the four that you mentioned. And the reason he said that was when I put the note out, I said, let's start the debate. Give me your top five debut rock albums of all time to get a little different. Try to stay away from Appetite, Van Halen 1, Zeppelin 1, Kiss self-titled, right? Everybody already knows those four are great. To Brian, he wouldn't even have those in his top five, none of them, which uh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, even me would have one of those in my top five. So, you know, it got all over the place. And some of these bands I had not heard of before, so I had to go check. But, I mean, we got everybody from ACDC to Zebra. I, and, well, first of all, who the hell picked Zebra? But anyway, uh, so when I started looking at the data, I'm like, you know, when you get 100 people to blanketly tell you five albums, of all the music that's out there in the world over the last hundred years, it would be impossible to get a hundred people to say five, six, 
seven of the same album, right? That seven people picked the same album. We actually had 12 that eight or more people picked the same. So we are going to talk those 12 albums in order, and then we'll talk about what we're calling the big four, which I just mentioned. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. And I'm looking over this grid and I'm looking at some of the choices that people have. And I mean, I'll be honest, probably 90% of them I know, but there's probably a good 10% of the records on here that I have no clue. Like I, some of them, I've never even heard of the band. And then some of them I've heard of the band and I'm like, how old is the listener listening to our podcast? Cause they gotta be 85. Cause <laughs> I, I mean, some of it is just our listenership. I think is all over the place in rock and roll, meaning that it ranges everywhere from, you know, I'll call them the hippies, right? From that right. Uh, Grateful Dead era of music and and then beyond. And it's fine. There's different kinds of, I mean, look, we talk about all kinds of rock and roll here, classic rock and newer European rock and things like that. So we're, we're all over the place a little bit. But some of these choices or some of these records are interesting and I'm not debating whether this person thinks they're an amazing debut album or not. That's, that's not my place. Like what you want to like. Uh, but some of them definitely, obviously I have my own opinions on, so I'm excited to get into this discussion. And by the way, I went back and listened to that debut albums episode that you and I did back in 2020, this episode, not even going to be anything like that episode, completely different. And in fact, probably my choices for top 10, uh, debut albums would be different than what I said back in October of 2020. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we had uh, put some rules on ourselves because I think we said no platinum or gold albums yeah. or something like that. So we knocked off, which today, the 12 I'm going to talk about, a bunch of them are platinum and gold, right? So they wouldn't even end up on our list. Yeah, that is correct. All right, so we're going to start with Steve Skoblicki. I think I'm saying that name right, okay? And Steve is special to me. That's why I'm starting with him. Three of the ones he chose was Cheap Trick, Jackal, and the Ramones. I don't even know if those three people would hang out together. <laughs> I can assure you they would not. Right. So Steve obviously has a vast musical genre love. Wonderful. The reason Steve's very important to me is I'm killing him on words with friends literally every day. He can't even touch me. <laughs> right. So just wanted to say that out loud when Steve's listening. Oh, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done. Uh, can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here. Shit. So, we are going to go, like I said, with the top 12 and ranked 12th. So, this is people who picked kind of the same album. And coming in at number 12 was Iron Maiden's self-titled album. So Ron Whitmore, Brian Balaf, Wrighty, Stu Preston, Anthony Barone, Jim Polkowski, Brandon Furlong, Thomas, I'm going to say Mukahi. Some of these names I'm probably butchering. I apologize. They all chose Iron Maiden self-titled as one of their choices. As we know, that album got released in 1980. The first single was Running Free. One of the things that we're going to talk about on each album, both Stephen and I, separately is, you know, did you... Like it when you first heard it? What'd you think? Would you say it's one of the best in rock history or just a fave of yours? Like, what do you think about the album? 
So in this situation, well, I guess if you're old enough, you would have heard Deano first, but I come in at wasted years. So I'm coming in at 86. So my maiden will always be the Bruce Dickinson maiden. And the first time I heard any of these songs is live after death with Bruce singing them. So when I went and back and heard the first album, I'm like, that is not Bruce <laughs> who in the hell is singing. Cause I don't like that guy. And so all I can say to Iron Maiden is thank you. All things that are holy in this life that they found Bruce Dickinson, because otherwise I most likely am not a Maiden fan and I have a huge fandom for them. Now, that being said, is this one of the best rock debut albums in history? I think to some people it is because it starts the train that's going and there are some excellent songs on it. I'm just not a huge Deano fan, so it's not one of my faves. What say you? Uh, this is one of those records. Well, first of all, it wasn't the first Iron Maiden for me. Killers was the first Iron Maiden for me. So very much the Deano era for me. But when I went from Killers to the first record, you know, there was stuff I liked on it and stuff that I thought was kind of okay. I think this is an album that a lot of people chose because of what Maiden would become. Rather than saying this is one of the best debut rock records ever, I think people chose it because they said Iron Maiden. I mean, come on, the first album from Iron Maiden. And there are a lot of songs still on this record that the band plays live today. I mean, they still play Iron Maiden today. They still play Running Free today. Phantom of the Opera, that's another one. I like songs like Prowler and Charlotte the Harlot. Good stuff on the record, there's no doubt. But whether it's one of the best rock debut records, I don't know. I can think of probably 30 records I like better. Rock debut records I like better than Iron Maiden. And it for sure is not even close to my favorite Maiden record. So that's my feelings with that.
So at number 11, also eight people picked this one. And the reasons I'm sharing some of the names is one, to thank you for participating, but Black Sabbath. The first two names are Ron Whitmore and Brian Balafagan, who also picked Iron Maiden. You guys might want to become friends because you guys have a similar taste in music. So uh, reach out to your fellow Facebook friend if uh, you so desire. So Ron and Brian, Tommy Volklist Hill, Gavin Tiern, Eric Peterson, John Harden, Randy Chang, Alex Ault all picked the first Black Sabbath album. So if you don't know, the first Black Sabbath album was released in 1970. The first single was Evil Woman, which is a Crow cover. There's seven songs on this album. There's five originals. The only two I've ever really heard that much is The Wizard and NIB. And I would have only heard NIB after Tribute because I come into Ozzy in 87. And I would tell you NIB to me is meh. This album, I went back and listened to it, just pieces of each song. I really don't understand why people love this album, but I'm also not a stoner and never done weed. So maybe that's why I don't understand it. So <laughs> how about you? Uh, I, I was a starter at one point and did do weed. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes me, I look, I don't know. Uh, I think black Sabbath. And it's funny. You said that the same two guys picked, uh, this and the maiden, because I think that the Sabbath is a lot like the maiden. I think people say, well, black Sabbath, uh, look what they became. Look what this groundbreaking first record did for heavy metal. And where I agree with all that, I don't necessarily think this is one of the best rock debut records ever. You have three songs on here, Black Sabbath, NIB, and The Wizard. And the rest of it is not, you know, not very well known at all. Uh, you got one song or uh, a suite of songs that is 14 minutes long, and there's still sort of a little bit jam bandy in sections left over from their days as Earth, most likely. So I don't know. I mean, it's okay. I respect it. I like the songs Black Sabbath. I like NIB and I like The Wizard. Now, I really like the versions on Speak of the Devil of NIB and The Wizard much more than I do off this Black Sabbath record. And now maybe that's blasphemy. I don't know. Uh, send your hate mail to um, sunnypooney.com. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's that's my feelings on that Sabbath record. I don't think it's one of the uh, best rock debuts ever. I can think of 30 that I like better, and it's nowhere near my favorite Black Sabbath record. So that's just my thoughts. Now, if somebody was to say list the most important debut albums in hard rock and heavy metal mm -hmm. history, Black Sabbath probably ends up on that list because there's a bunch of people that were influenced by this stuff. hundred percent. You're absolutely right. And yeah, that's a completely different question. Uh, and I agree 1000% with you there, but in terms of the best debut rock album for hard rock and metal, this Black Sabbath record doesn't do it for me personally. Yeah. All right. At number 10, we had nine people pick this album. Ron Whitmore again, Tommy Hill, Gavin Tiern, Doug Rock, Chris Dees, Andriano Stroder, Brian Lee Hecht, Mike Badaracco, and Graham Richley all chose Wasp's self-titled album. As we may know, that came out in 1984. The first single was I Want to Be Somebody. 
So people could have heard Love Machine first. They could have heard Animal first, depending on where they grew up, depending on what version they got, depending on what they were listening to. Me personally, I don't come into Wasp until Blind in Texas. That's what got my ears perked up, even though I was already into MTV. Wasp would come on TV every once in a while. I'm like, eh, whatever, right? But then for some reason, Blind in Texas got me. And that was really the first time I really listened to Blackie's voice. And I was in love with Blind in Texas the minute I heard it and then went backwards. And I'm like, oh, they got another album that's old. And I actually really like this album. Blackie's voice so perfectly fits what he's doing, right? And it's so hard sometimes, and and maybe this is armchair quarterback a little bit, but it's so hard sometimes to take somebody's voice and fit it to the music they're doing so perfectly, right? Like, I never knew if, like, Don Dawkins' voice was perfect for Dawkins. I wish it was kind of Oni from the beginning, because I think I would have enjoyed it even more than I do. But I still enjoy a lot of those records. But for whatever reason, Blackie, that genre of music that he's doing is so perfectly fitting to me. I don't know if this is one of the best rock debut albums in history. I would tell you it's definitely one of my faves, though. What about you? Yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, this is where I came into Wasp. Got excited about magazine articles, picked up this album when it first came out, saw the first tour, saw them open up for Iron Maiden on the Power Slave tour. I mean, it was great. Uh, had the whole thing, you know, the the record with the live performance. Fantastic. Absolutely love this record as a debut record. Okay, so coming in ninth with nine people picking it, including Tommy Hill, Gavin Tiern, Eric Peterson, Brent Santee, Nick Okensiak, Greg Mangus, Bill Elam, Michael Kerfoot, and Brian Ronald all love 
the first Montrose album, which was self-titled. So if you don't know, Montrose album was released in 1973 and the first single was actually Rock the Nation, which I think everybody would argue that is not their most popular song. By the time I'm getting into Montrose, probably the first song I heard was Bad Motor Scooter or Rock Candy because that's what was on rock radio. And for me, it most likely was Rock Candy because Bad Motor Scooter, when I first heard it, I'm not sure I was in love with it, but Rock Candy, I know when I first heard it, I was in love with it. And I was already a Sammy fan, so I was in the discovery phase of all things Sammy. So I come into Sammy at VOA, and I did not know at that point that he had already been around 11, 12 years in the music business. I mean, how would I know, right? So then I remember hearing Rock Candy, Bad Motor Scooter, and Space Station number five. And I'm like, damn, pretty much everything this guy does is good. Later, I found out when I got all the records, not all of it's good, (laughs) but I am a huge Sammy fan. But when he misses, boy, he misses big. I think we all understand that. Now, this being Ronnie Montrose, this being a guitar god from the 70s, uh, somebody that's influenced a ton of people, I would agree that this is should be on the list of one of the best rock debut albums in history. Personally, for me, I don't go back to a lot of Montrose. I usually just stick to the four or five songs that I actually like. I like a couple of songs off of Paper Money, too. Your thoughts on this record? Yeah, so this Montrose record in full came to me much later. Like, I'm talking really recently within the last probably three or four years. I'm like you. I knew the hits. I knew Rock Candy. I knew Space Station number five. I knew um, Bad Motor Scooter. I knew things like that. I'd heard some other mantras without Sammy that I didn't like very much. And I was like, eh, I'm not sure. I know Ronnie Montrost was a huge influence to a lot of people. But just being honest, like, I don't know why. I'm not sure I hear what it is or or why. And maybe it's because I wasn't around in the 70s, you know, looking at guitar heroes or whatever. I I don't know. But I listened to the record and I think there's a lot of good tunes on it. I like what I hear off this self-titled Montrose record. I like Sammy, but I don't hear like, where does the guitar God stuff come from? I don't think he's bad. Don't get me wrong. Uh, And again, this is probably blasphemy send your hate mail to sunnypooney.com i don't give a fuck but <laughs> especially greg watch greg is like gonna be throwing shit at you i mean i just don't <laughs> I, i'm trying to be honest here in where i came from and, and put myself in this period of time and i respect it i like it i like the first record i came to find out that one of the the last song on this self-titled mantras album was basically aped for cabo wabo right we talked about that in our van halen episode so i respect it and i understand why it's on this list that's not a surprise to me that's good classic rock okay so we before we get to number eight <laughs> i wanted to uh there's a couple albums on here i i was just wow so adriano schroeder he chose blessed death i don't know if it's blessed death or blessed death and the album's called killer be killed so i went and checked it out it's interesting stuff It's very death metal kind of, but there's like identical twins playing in the rhythm section. I don't know how many identical twins are in bands, but there can't be that many, right? So that was an alrighty then. I'll I'll give them that. And then uh, another one I wanted to share real quick, Gavin Tiern picked Budgie. When I saw it, I'm like, well, maybe he spelled something wrong. Like who the hell is Budgie? Like, I don't even know what Budgie is. So I go to Spotify. I pull up Budgie. 
I tried Crash Course in Brain Surgery yep. and Guts. Yikes. Dude, I tried. Gavin, I tried. It not my bag. So this is where I'll apologize for my host, Sonny Pooney, because he's not a new wave of British heavy metal fan. I understand that Budgie is a huge influence to a lot of bands. And in fact, Metallica covered the song that Sonny just talked about on the Garage Days. I wasn't a huge fan of Budgie when the new wave of British heavy metal was happening. I like the Metallica versions of the songs that they covered, but I just, I, I liked bands like Diamond Head more so than Budgie. Uh, so, but I understand why somebody picked Budgie, uh, but that's not Sonny's jam. And that's why he's probably never heard of Budgie in his life. And I'm not sure why anybody would have that name, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So getting back to the list at number eight. Nine people picked this album, including Righty, Steve Gill, Frank Anzalone, Anthony Lauro, Dave Kostka, Scott Coots, Jeff Reed, Banjo de Blade, Banjo Lay Blade, I guess, and David Shaw all picked Cinderella's Night Songs. All right, so it comes out my high school graduation year. We've talked Cinderella Night Songs before. First single was Shake Me. Dude, I was in from day one. Shake Me song plus the video. I'm turning 16, senior in high school. Desert Island album, right? Normally that vocal doesn't connect with me, but it's just timing. And I can tell you for Cinderella after this album, it all goes downhill for me. Like I, I don't really like a lot of the rest of Cinderella. If I could come up with 10 songs I love after night songs, I would be amazed by Cinderella. That's just me personally, because I don't like the blue slide shit that they immediately went to. Like I, everybody was going to that. I'm like, what are you doing? Like I liked the stuff that you were doing, just stick to that, please. So the 10 songs that I can probably come up with after Night Songs probably would have fit on Night Songs is my uh, my opinion. It doesn't surprise me that our fan base loves this album. They should. For hair metal, this is one of the best debut albums out there. And I'm sure you agree, right? Thousand percent. Yeah, it should be on this list. It would be on my list. This is a fantastic debut record. A perf well, I don't know about perfect album, but it definitely is a Desert Island record for me. It's just really, really solid. And I wore the shit out of this record when it first came out. Uh, and I love it. But I like a lot of their other stuff. I can't say what you said about it. I mean, there's definitely this is probably my favorite my favorite cinderella record but there's a lot of stuff off of uh later records that i like as well and in fact a record like still climbing is way underrated in my opinion but yeah great record at number seven 11 people picked this so like again you get more than 10 percent of people to pick the same album and they didn't talk to each other and we gave them no rules except don't pick these four Having 10 to 11 people pick the same album is amazing to me. But Steve Gill, Brett Santee, Doug Rock, Stu Preston, Bill Algie, Wes Haskins, Ivan Galesick, Joe Decker, Mark Arnold, Neil Spears, and Henrik Halvardsson all picked Dio's Holy Diver. And we've talked about Dio before. This album came out in 83. First single was Holy Diver. I'm actually coming into Dio at last in line because I remember the video. And remember, I'm coming into MTV in 84, so that probably doesn't surprise anybody. I remember thinking when I first heard Last in Line, I'm like, eh, it's a little power metal for me. At the time, I didn't know what power metal was, but I'm just like, it wasn't catching my ear like some of the other stuff was. And now looking back, it was probably just a little too power metal but I do appreciate some of it. Like Dio gets a little, like he should be like carrying a skull with him at all times, a little bit there. But, you know, I, I like some of it. I definitely don't like all of it. 
to uh, label Holy Diver as one of the best debut rock albums, I could absolutely understand why. It just wouldn't be on my list. And I'm sure it would be on yours. You got that right, my friend. It's one song away from a perfect album for me. I mean, it would be a Desert Island uh, record we've talked about in the past, except for one song for me. (laughs) But that record is so good. Amazing, amazing record. I love the first two Dio records with everything. And uh, Holy Diver definitely would be uh, one of my favorite uh, debut rock records. Number six, coming in at number six on this list, 12 people picked this album. Steve Gill, Stu Preston, 
Frank Anzalone. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Anthony Lauro, Nick Okensiak, Joey Demoulet, I'm going to say, Chris Andrashak, Bill Lehman, Mark Alden Taylor, Keith Rochford, Michael Charles, and Tommy Gelati. And Tommy and I literally, basically, we don't agree on anything on the planet. But all these guys picked Tesla's debut album, Mechanical Resonance, one of my Desert Island albums. I was 100% in from the get. Came out in 86, high school graduation year. There were a Sacramento band. I was in San Francisco. Modern day cowboy hits. Everything I love about a song is in that song. And it was the perfect first single for me. And they opened for literally everybody. When I went and start seeing shows, they had me hooked from the start. Tesla is another band that after Mechanical Resonance, it starts going downhill for me. And by the time that we get to like the last record, I'm like, Ooh, I like like four songs now maybe, but Tesla is one of those bands that after mechanical resonance, could I come up with 30 songs? I still like, yeah, absolutely. Because they didn't really change their sound. They just got, you label it hippie. I guess I'll label it hippie. They got a little hippie for me instead of rock almost. So, but, uh, does it deserve to be one of the best rock debut albums. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you are into hair metal, you love the music we love. You haven't heard this album. You need to go take the 50 minutes and go listen to this album because you won't be disappointed. What say you? I say Tesla's not a hair band. Stop it. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Yeah. I say you bet your ass. This is one of the best rock debut albums. I like you was hooked from the beginning, from the time I heard, uh, uh, modern day cowboy I was in, I got the opportunity to see them in a small club before they even went out on their first tour with David Lee Roth. I saw them in a small club and they're amazing. Uh, I am absolutely a huge Tesla fan that, yeah, this is probably my, my favorite Tesla record. It's also my first, but it is a desert Island record for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. And coming in at number five with 13 people picking this album, Frank, Oh, I'll just say Frank, cause we've said his butchered his name many times. Joey D we've butchered his name many times. Bill Algie, Wes Haskins, David Koska, uh, Scott Coots, Tommy Hill, John Harden, Jeff Trott, Mark Michaels, Clint Timothy, Daniel Peoples, and my bud, Tony Masalem, Skid Row's first self-titled album. They all picked that one. Released year was 1989. The first single everybody heard was Youth Gone Wild. For me, this hits as I'm turning 19. Both Tony and I are turning 19. We're trying to do our own thing in a band. This is exactly how we want it to sound, but never did. Perfect for a guy in my teens, right? This is perfect for a teenager that's just just about to turn into his early 20s. So rebel, so rocking. Loved it from the first time I heard it on MTV. And I was like, who in the hell are these guys? And I have listened to this record, I would say at least four times a year in full. And there's not a lot of records I listen to in full all the time. Desert Island for me, and it absolutely deserves to be on the list in my opinion. How about you? Support that 100% also. Uh, Much like the Tesla hooked from the beginning, definitely a Desert Island record. A lot of fatigue on this record nowadays, but just an amazing record. I absolutely love the self-titled Skid Row record. All right. So a couple of questions and then uh, we'll move on. Paul Koch picked Dark After Dawn. And I remember reading it going, who? (laughs) So I go to Spotify. I listen to a song called Purgatory. 
It was very Cookie Monster, not really my bag, but I think this is a new band because that album came out on December 1st. So this might be a newer band. Maybe that's why we've never heard of them. I don't know. That's an awful bold statement for a record that came out in December of last year to say this is one of the best rock debut records. My initial thought would be, okay, either he's had this on his brain and he's been listening to it and the question got posed and he just threw it out there or he hasn't listened to a lot of music in his life. (laughs) Or it could be like, you know, I would put the first Restrained album on there and I would have put it on there. 20 minutes after it got released, they're friends of mine. I'd heard the songs 2,000 times already. Yeah. Right? So it could be that too, right? Yeah, I suppose. The other one I wanted to talk about real quick, Robert De Pasqua picked End Ever After. And I remember going, I thought I had seen that name before, but I'm like, I don't know who that is. So I look them up. I didn't know they're from Sacramento. I had no idea. Michael Grant. Yeah, I, I didn't know. So first album's called Kiss or Kill. I'm like, oh, that album art's pretty cool. So I tried I Want to Be Your Man, mm-hmm. Tip of My Tongue. I actually like both songs. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Michael Grant had a good sleazier type voice, but the music was more straight ahead rock instead of sleaze. And then I sent you I Want to Be Your Man, and you said uh, you'd already heard of them and you liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw them open up for Poison and Cinderella when Poison was doing the three band bills over the summer and they were playing sheds. And this was back in, I want to say 2005, 2006. And it was Poison was headlining. Cinderella was uh, in the middle and this band and ever after was playing first. And, you know, the place was half full and I was like, I don't, never heard of this band who are they and they were really good i mean there was a lot of energy michael grant was all over the place and at the time obviously i didn't know who michael grant was but they were all over the place they put on a great show enough for me to go out and pick up the record the next day so i went out and ordered the record and picked up and ever after and i end up liking it i mean uh there's some good stuff on that cd so yeah it's, it's good with me got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com 
That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so we'll take a break from the action here. This episode that we're doing right now is the perfect example of the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. Sonny goes and posts questions and polls and things like that in our private Facebook group, and people comment and give us feedback and put in their two cents, and we use it in the episodes. Uh, And it's a great way for us to connect with the listeners and get you guys involved in the actual episodes. These are some of my favorite type of episodes to do because uh, it carries the conversation from, you know, Facebook to the podcast. And I enjoy that gives us a lot to talk about. You know, it's a pretty positive group. There is no real poisonous people within the group. And and if they are, they're on their best behavior because for the most part, we keep it pretty uh, sociable and uh, pretty on the level. So that's one of the things I appreciate about all the listeners in the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. Again, the Facebook group is basically about the podcast itself and the conversations within the podcast. So it's not really a place to go and promote other people's podcasts, things like that. We're happy to promote other people's podcasts. Just go to our actual Grown Up Rock Facebook page and post there. But the Loud Minority Facebook group is is just for these conversations based around the podcast itself, uh, sharing new music, things like that. And so we really enjoy having it. We really enjoy communicating with everybody. Also, if you want to help out the podcast, go to Podchaser or go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review. Uh, the one-star reviews don't help us out. So if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. (laughs) It's better that way. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Okay, top four. So coming in at number four. 13 people had picked this album as one of their top rock debuts. Those 13 were Michael Murphy, Andy LaFawn, Nair and Kavura, Paul Koch, Brandon Furlong, Jim Polkowski, Anthony Barone, Adriano Schroeder, Chris Deese, Jeff Reed, Ivan Galesick, John Harden, and Tommy Hill. All picked. Metallica, kill them all. So if you don't know, it was released in 83. Technically, the first single was Whiplash. Metallica's not much of a singles band until much, much, much later. Uh, for me, I grew up in the Bay Area, so you were already seeing Metallica t-shirts. I was already seeing them in high school. I really come in at Master of Puppets. I didn't give them a shot until really about 86. So when I went back and heard Kill Em All, I noticed that, okay, by the time Hetfield gets to Puppets, his voice is smoothing out a little. And I actually liked his voice smoothed out a little. It's always had a rasp to it, but that first album's got a lot of rasp to it. Also, as they go from Puppets to Justice to Black Album, we all know, they get a little more melodic than they do thrash, which I'm not a huge fan of thrash music at all. You know, do they deserve to be one of the top rock album debuts? Absolutely. 100%. They're still, they're one of the few bands out there still selling out stadiums, right? And they're selling out stadiums two and a half years before they go play them. So that's crazy. And plus I grew up in San Francisco, so I don't have a choice but to like this stuff, but I actually like Metallica. What say you? 
So this was my entry point into Metallica, the Kill 'Em All record. I've told the story many times before. I saw this record on an end cap at my local record store along with the Raven record. Both records were red writing with black backgrounds, pretty simplistic. One was good, one was not. I, I don't feel that way. I liked them both. <laughs> so I, be, I became a Raven and a Metallica fan all at the same time, and uh, the rest is history. So, yeah, there's a little bit of pride for me being in on that ground floor uh, before, you know, the the big breaks come and yeah, you know, it was never about singles for me. So took the record and loved it. And, uh, I had had, I guess, um, a preview into Metallica, which is why I picked up the record immediately on the end cap because, uh, I originally had a metal compilation tape that had hit the lights on it. And that's the first time I heard Metallica. And obviously when I heard hit the lights, I never heard anything like that before because thrash wasn't really a thing. So that was the first time I'd heard anything that just was like, wow, what is this? So, yeah, I liked it. Coming in at number three, we had 17 people pick this album. Wow. Dave Tedder, James Steingart, Alex Alt, Randy Chang, Brian Balaf, Banjo LeBlade, Doug Rock, Chris Andrushak, Clint Timothy, Mark Michaels, Jeff Trott, Dave Koska, Paul Koch, Christie's, Jeff Reed, John Harden, and Tommy Hill all picked. Motley Crue's Too Fast for Love. Released in 81, technically the first single will stick to your guns depending on when you got the album. And most likely people heard Live Wire first that are in my age range or a little bit older. Personally for me, I come in theater of pain. So thanks to Home Sweet Home, I'm pretty much in because, you know, the video showed women taking off their tops. So I was definitely going to go see them live. Can't stand Vince. Never been able to stand Vince. Don't like Vince in total. The music and the live shows kept me interested to where I saw Model Group by 15 times. When I went back and listened to Shout of the Devil, I was like, all righty then, that's good stuff. Then I go backwards and go to Too Fast for Love, listen to Live Wire. I'm like, hey, got past Live Wire? I'm like, whoo, Shout of the Devil's a lot better. Thank God they got better. <laughs> Some of that. And I think it's the demo-ish recording that kind of turns me off because, you know, by the time I'm going backwards, they're already at Girls, 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 really. Right. So they're already polished up by then. So I always thought this album was a little meh overall, but that is a person talking that came into them in 85, not coming into them in 81. Do I believe this should be on the list of top rock debut albums? hundred percent. They ended up basically, uh, influencing the next generation, right? They were influenced from the past. They influenced the next and you got to hand it to crew. They're another band that's out there selling stadiums. Now they have a little bit of help with somebody, but still they're selling stadiums a year before they get there. So, wow. But, uh, I'm sure you love this record. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great record. I respect the record more so now than when it first came out just because, I mean, I'm like you, I don't love the demo ish recording, but there were trendsetters at this point. Uh, and like you said, they influenced pretty much the sunset strip. Uh, around this time and on this first record you know it was glam they went glam to you know the leather and studs and then back to glam and it was a different type of glam so uh yeah i mean 
this record has a lot of good stuff on it. And this record has a lot of stuff that uh, isn't fatigued for me, uh, you know, like on with the show rather and and just things like that. Live Wire is always great, no matter how many times I hear it. Public Enemy, number one. I mean, there's just some good tunes on this title track. Love that as well. So, yeah, uh, definitely deserves to be there. Going to a couple of questions. So Chris Fretwell chose T-Ride. So I saw it. I'm like, who? Dude, they're from San Francisco. I had no idea. They're from San Francisco in 1992. I should have known what this was. Never heard of them. They had a song on the Encino Man soundtrack. Never knew that. They had a song that was played in Baywatch. Seriously? So I go and I go try it on Spotify. I tried Zombies from Hell and Luxury Cruiser. There is a lot going on in that music. It's like extreme and queen and funk all put in a blender. It's a little complicated for this dumb rocker. I sent Luxury Cruiser to you. Mm -hmm. What did you think? And had you ever heard of T-Ride before? Never heard of T-Ride. Forgot to listen to the song. Nice. So I'm being 100% transparent. I'll go listen to it after the show, but I got no opinion because I never heard of them. At first, I thought T-Ride, wasn't there a rapper? Named T-Ride or something. I thought Chris maybe typed it wrong and he was talking about T-Rex. Uh, another one I wanted to share. So Tommy uh, Gelati from Shout It Out Loudcast, Anthony Barone, Michael Murphy, all chose Rage Against the Machine as one of their favorites. Yep. And I'll tell you, uh, we reviewed that on Album Review Crew here uh, a few months ago. I really like that album. It's a great I, record. I missed it somehow. I had heard that first song, Killing in the Name of, and I'm like, whatever, dude. Okay, you're angry. Whatever. And I just kind of tossed it to the side. 
when I had to listen to it for the episode for a month, I'm like, where have some, oh my God, I'm actually upset that there's songs on that album that should have been part of my entire life and I somehow missed them. Yeah, there's grooves for days on that record. I mean, that record has some fat ass grooves and really great riffs. I, I love that record. I've always loved that record. I mean, that cemented my my uh, fandom for Rage Against the Machine because I've got all their records and uh, they're a band that I dig. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So getting to the top two, both of these had 19 people pick them. Um, so I just kind of did it by alphabetical order. So number two is Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, Gary Cap, Paul Korn, Ben Marth, Glenn Greiner, Alan Barbara, Shane Paisley, Ron Whitmore, Mark Arnold, Joe Decker, Brett Santee, Bill Lehman, Anthony Lauro, Steve Gill, Nairan Kavora, Ivan Gailsick, Randy Chang, Jeff Trott, Banjo LeBlade, Tommy Hill. All picked this record that released in 1980. Obviously, it was Ozzy's first record away from Sabbath. And the first single was Crazy Train. Now, what's interesting in my story is, isn't it crazy, pardon the pun, that I don't come into Ozzy until Tribute, and the first song I heard was Crazy Train, right? Because that's when it gets re-released. And I remember first time I heard it, I'm like, wow, what is that song? I had no idea the history. I had no idea who the hell Randy Rhodes was at the time. I knew a little bit about Ozzy, but Crazy Train got me interested in Ozzy. So if it was the record company's solution to bring some of these old songs that were there and to put a little bit of a modern hair metal flavor to them in 1987 to get people like me in their 17, 18, 19 year olds to listen. Oh my God. And it worked. So I go backwards. And when I first heard Blizzard, there are some great songs on Blizzard, but I will tell you there's some shit. I cannot stand Revelation Mother Earth. I hate Goodbye to Romance. Right. There's just a couple of songs on there. I cannot understand, but it's like, he's just coming out of Sabbath. So some of that's pulling them. And then Randy had a classical feel to him. So I get it. But, uh, now does it deserve to be one of the top debut albums of, uh, history rock debut albums? Well, if Holy Diver is going to be on the list, then absolutely Blizzard of Oz needs to be on the list and it deserves to be on the list. It's amazing to me that Ozzy ended up on two of these top 12, to be honest, but guess what? Dio's bands didn't. Only Dio did. So here we go with the Ozzy Dio debate again. Um, anyway, I know you love this record. Yeah. In fact, I'll lay some uh, some facts on you. Fact one, the Ozzy Blizzard of Oz record, better debut record than Black Sabbath's debut record. Hundred <laughs> percent. So let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, of course. If you're going to have Holy Diver on here, you need to have Ozzy's Blizzard of Oz on here. So many great songs. The introduction to of Randy Rhodes to the world. It wasn't my first Ozzy record. My first Ozzy record is Diary of a Madman. That's where I come in. I do even like Goodbye to Romance as a uh, slow ballads type song you've never liked mother revelation or no whatever but i just i think that the guitar solo in that song is amazing yeah i don't mind some of the stuff that's not the big hits uh i like i, I don't know and mr crowley and stuff like that as well but uh it's just a good record yeah 100 percent deserves to be there no problem and the number one most popular out of the 100 people that had answered when i took the snapshot was a huge surprise to me so 19 people, Ivan Gilsick, Steve Gill, Brent Santee, Joe Decker, Shane Paisley, Alan Barbara, Mark Michaels, James Steingart, Nico Kensiak, Tommy Gelati, 
Neil Spears, Christopher Powell, Scott Zacchini, Zacchini maybe, Kevin Colburn, Paul Bushi, Tony Mattis, Eugene Yusau, Steve Skoblicki, and Jay Sabluski. And if I would have said top 10, you know, list your top 10 instead of top five or give me more, more likely more people would have chose this, Boston's first album. I'm very surprised that people who listen to us that chose Metallica and Motley Crue and Ozzy and Cinderella and Tesla and Dio and Black Sabbath and Maiden, they somehow all intersect at Boston. It's because it's literally a perfect album. And it's also because if the majority of people that picked these Cinderella records and Maidens and Metallicas are our age, are my age, let's say, then Boston was your gateway. Boston was the escalator that took you into a guitar-driven world and you never looked back. And it was very much that for me. Boston, I've said many times before, Boston and the Cars were the first two albums I bought with my own money at Sears Roebuck and Company. And I never looked back from not being guitar driven. And Boston debut album is very much that in what, uh, 70, whatever, whenever that yeah. came out. So it came out in 76. The first single was more than a feeling. I'm coming in this later in life. So could I have heard more than the feeling first? Maybe I might've heard peace of mind or smoking in a rock and roll band. I'm not exactly sure. Most likely it was more than a feeling in a, you know, in a mall or at the grocery store, maybe super catchy. So, you know, I love most of that Boston first record too. I actually took a deep dive with Boston probably about a year ago because Ridey kind of talked me into it. I listened to the rest of Boston. I didn't come up with 13 other, 15 other songs I liked after the first record. Like most of them are either on the first or second record. And then there is barely pieces after that. Like, I, I don't know why I don't like the rest of it. I don't know if they change members. I don't know the history of Boston. So it's just, it's before my time to be honest with you, but it just very much surprises me. And you saying that this was people's gateway, that makes sense to me, especially if you have an older sibling, most likely they had the sound because it was so popular. I, it was just very interesting to me that it was number one. And here's the other thing about that Boston record. Not only was it a gateway, but it also was literally brainwashing because any rock radio station over the years was playing Boston. You know, it's a lot like Zeppelin, right? They they just pound the shit out of it. They play they play the same two, three, four about Boston tunes, and you just you hear it every two hours. And so that, that's a part of, uh, that classic rock radio brainwashing in the, uh, late, to uh, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. But I think you would agree. It deserves to be there. It absolutely deserves to be there. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a groundbreaking album. Smile 
So talk real quick about uh, three of the top four, and then we'll get to the historic moment in a couple of minutes. But the the three that we had said kind of stay away from, Guns N' Roses' appetite for destruction, and I'll get your thoughts on all three after I give you my thoughts on all three. You know, that's coming out in 87, first singles, Welcome to Jungle. I mean, come on. I loved it from day one. It's Desert Island for me. Overrated as hell? Hell yeah. Uh, Zeppelin, 69. Uh, the first single was Good Times, Bad Times. First time I'm hearing Zeppelin is 1990 with a box set. And that's the only Zeppelin I own is the box set. I like some Zeppelin. I would say one out of every two songs I hear I like. So it definitely deserves to be there. There's no doubt it's one of the big four. Uh, Van Halen 1. There's no reason not to like Van Halen 1. If you are try- if you don't like Van Halen 1, you're trying not to like it. Like that's that's basically what you're trying to do. Probably the same thing with the Appetite record. If you don't like the Appetite record, you're really trying hard to be different and not like it because there's not really a reason not to like it, uh, especially if you love the music that we do, which is melodic rock. So uh, I'm sure you feel pretty s- similar about all three. I don't know your love for Zeppelin, though. Yeah, no, I have, uh, my love for Zeppelin is much more the latter part of my life than it was the earlier part of my life. I didn't grow up a Zeppelin fan. Uh, I didn't love Led Zeppelin in the, uh, seventies and eighties. That's, it just wasn't my jam. I was much more into the modern stuff. It's just when you get through the modern stuff and you start to grow older, you start to get the opportunity to go back and check out stuff. And now obviously I'm very much a Zeppelin fan. And, uh, I think the first Zeppelin record without a doubt deserves to be in this discussion. Van Halen one. I'll pull a B, I'll pull a BC. I mean, come on. They're my all time favorite band. This isn't my favorite Van Halen record, but it's still amazing from start to finish. It's still a desert Island record for me. And I absolutely love it and very much needs to be in this discussion. This is the record that created millions of guitar players all over the world with this one record. Uh, absolutely did that guns and roses i've said it a million times it's they built a career off of this one record and it's a career that to this day has them play in stadiums which is absolutely amazing to me so elsie loose cannon shared his list with us from cobras and fire and i want you to tell the story but i'm going to share what the five albums are first so he chose gnr appetite metallica's black album van halen one living color which i think was called vivid and The Damned Things, which I guess the album's called Ironoclast. Uh, first of all, LC, you didn't follow the rules because two of those were not supposed to be chosen. But it sounds like you went back and forth and gave the list 18 times. So was he planning on ever following the rules or? Well, okay. So let me say this. I'm going to defend LC a little bit. I may have never given him the rules because this was. What, a- he doesn't have Facebook? This was a text that went on back and forth between he and I. He sent me a text and I said, hey, give me your top five debut rock records of all time. So he may have never seen the Facebook post. I don't know. This was a simple conversation going back and forth. But LC in LC fashion overthinks it. He changed his list two or three times. He he debated me. We we ended up debating on on uh, this conversation for 15 or 20 minutes uh and so you know that's god bless baco man he, he's he's got uh his hands full with lc 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, Elsie gave us his, his, uh, his things. Vivid, I thought was an interesting, uh, addition to the list because that first living color is amazing. Uh, there were a lot of hits off that record and it is great from start to finish. Uh, I love that record a lot. I got a lot burned on the cult of personality, but there's a lot of other great stuff on that record and it's just, it's funky and it's great. It's a really good record. So I thought that was an interesting choice. This, the damned things. I had never heard of this band. So he put that in his list. I went and checked it out quickly. I didn't spend any time with it, but the two or three songs that I quickly perused, I actually liked. So I took the album and threw it on a playlist for me to go back to and listen to later on, because if he thinks it's the best, one of the best debut rock records, then I want to listen to it and give it a shot. So yeah, gotta love LC. All right, let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, well... Kiss self-titled was one of the big four that we kind of asked you to stay away from. They released in 74. First single was nothing to lose. And honestly, the rest is history, right? I want to get your story, Stephen, before we play a song. You know, I, I've said it over and over. I come into Kiss at Heavens on Fire 84, J- Paul jumping through the hoop, MTV. I don't think I know your story of how you got into Kiss. We know that the Creatures Tour was your first tour, but I don't know how you actually heard Kiss for the first time. Yeah, so for me growing up, Kiss was always sort of around, but music didn't play as big of a part as it would play later on in my life. When I was growing up, it was pretty much, you know, AM radio, FM radio. Uh, Occasionally, I would buy the 45 single because I had one of those pop-up record players where the hood opens up. You know what I'm talking about? And you just (laughs) kind of put the record on and it was a 45. I mean, I would buy stuff anywhere from like La Chic Freak Out to Bay City Rollers to Billy Joel. I mean, whatever. But I had brothers and sisters that were into like classic rock, Deep Purple, Zeppelin, things like that, the Beatles. So Kiss was around, but I was never a huge fan. I said that openly in the 70s. I, you know, I take take or leave it. I remember seeing Phantom, Kiss Meets a Phantom on NBC. Uh, the night that it debuted and I watched it, but I mean, I wasn't losing my mind over it or anything like that. So kiss came to me when I hit uh, high school and it, pretty much the same time as all the rest of the rock and roll that I really got into. You had a couple of friends that were kiss fans and they started saying, Hey man, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this, you know, at the same time as we're sharing ACDCs and black Sabbaths and all this other stuff. So that's where I come into kiss. And I think that the first record I got was creatures of the night. That's the first kiss record I purchased. Had I heard songs like strutter and rock and roll all night of course i did i heard those before i heard you know it's not like when i purchased creatures of the night it was the first kiss i'd ever heard does that make sense yeah it makes complete sense yeah so uh i purchased creatures of the night first full kiss record i bought and then i saw the concert uh and the rest is history 
So, you know, does Kiss end, uh, end up on this list and does it deserve to be on the list? Absolutely. Kiss has influenced God, endless amounts of folks. You know, whether you like Kiss music, don't like Kiss music, you think it's too simple, that it's not Rush, whatever. You know, it that's all a matter of taste. But for the historic moment, we're going to go with a classic off the first record. So here is Paul, Gene, Ace, and Peter with a Kiss classic, Strutter. So tell me this, when you hear Strutter, 
I almost think of Strutter and Deuce in the same breath. Do you feel that way? I don't because Deuce to me has a sexy to it and Strutter to me has a peppiness to it. Mm-hmm. Which song do you prefer? Deuce, 100%. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. But hey, Strutter's a classic. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so to wrap up this episode, here's some lessons I learned and I want to get your take. Not everybody knows what a debut album is. Debut means different things to different people. I'm just going to say out loud, Grand Illusion, Last in Line, Back in Black, Nevermind, Future World from Pretty Maids, Metal Health from Quiet Riot, and Cowboys from Hell from Pantera are not debut albums. Sorry if you feel they are, but they are not. No matter how much music I hear, there is still more that I haven't heard. So even, you know, on this episode, Dark After Dawn, yuck. T-Ride, meh. (laughs) And Ever After, not bad. I might try it again, right? So it doesn't matter how much music you hear. There is so much more to listen to. I'll never listen to Budgie again, but at least I know now that Budgie exists. I'm going to go down this list of all the albums that you didn't mention and tell you which ones that you shouldn't waste your time with because you won't like them. Oh, I can tell you right <laughs> out of the gate. I, I can tell you Anthrax is full of metal. Not interested. It's a good bet. Country Joe and the Fish, you should probably skip. Yeah, yeah. Not not interested. Um, let's see. What, what are some other ones? I Proco Harem, probably not going to be your thing. Probably not. I, I've heard that uh, a Hanoi Rocks record. Not a fan. Foo Fighters, no thanks. Uh, uh, R.E.M. Murmur. Oh, I, I guarantee oh. you David Huddy gave us that one. <laughs> Yikes. King's X, Out of the Silent Planet. No, thank you. That's a good record. Marillion. I don't know even. I've not heard one Marillion song. It doesn't sound right to me. Call Kevin Williams. Hey, one <laughs> thing I did learn that I didn't know, I had to actually look this up because I thought the guy was wrong, but for some reason... I didn't know Thunder's first record was Backstreet Symphony. I thought that they had stuff out way before that, but that's their debut record. I didn't know that either. And that's why I'm surprised that they're so huge in Europe and not big in the U.S. That music got huge in Europe in the 90s. Yeah, because that's the first record. And they've been consistently putting out product, but they... Obviously, that record, I mean, that record did break them slightly here in the States, but that record must have done a lot more for them there than it did here. Yeah, no doubt about that. Vane, <laughs> uh, no thanks. I got I to gotta like it. If it's from San Francisco, no, I don't. I don't got to like it. <laughs> so many people love that record, man. Oh, my goodness. White Sister, don't know much about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, you can't go wrong. I don't know whether Huddy gave us this or not, but I, I believe that it needs to be here as the Black Crows shake your money. Oh, maker. yeah, 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 yeah. You can't go wrong with a Slaughter record, the Rival Sun record. I, you know, I don't love Rush, Rush, but I'm sure that Rush record's great for people. So there's some. there were some good, I mean, people picked the Beatles, please, please me. I, I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but of course that's important. How can you not say that's not important? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some good choices on here. It didn't get, uh, you know, it didn't get a ton of love, but they still made the list. So it's a debate. There's tons of albums and and things hit people differently, and they're important to them for certain reasons. And you know, to me, there's a big difference in the albums that are on here that were influential and people chose them because of what the band would become versus an album that's just 
amazing start to finish song-wise, even if they didn't ever put out another record. The record is just good. And that's their debut record. And it's perfect. One we didn't mention that has amazing, huge hits is Foreigner's first record. That's right. I mean, that record is full of greatest hits. Yeah. That's what I think that the difference is in some of the debut album choices that people put on here. Uh, but I'm not going to argue whether they believe it's, you know, fantastic from start to finish or not. That's not my place. Yeah. And to get people off of bridges uh, real quick, I will share with you any of the choices that got more than five that we didn't end up talking about. So Rush had five votes. Rat Out of the Cellar had five. Pearl Jam 10 had five. Uh, let's see. Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experience had six. Foreigner had six. Firehouse had five. Badlands had six. Mm-hmm. Alice in Chains, Facelift had seven. So, you know, there were some that kind of missed the cut. Again, can't talk about all of them. And there was a bunch, like, I don't know. Oh, Gray Days. I listened to the Gray's Day, the Gray Days album. I guess that's Chester Bennington's band at some point. It was okay. Mm. I'm surprised Linkin Park uh, didn't make that now that you mentioned Chester because that first debut album from them, I was never a fan. I never liked them at all. But yeah, uh, two people picked it. Oh, did they? Yeah, Hybrid Theory. Okay. On the list. Oh, okay. Because that was a diamond certified record, wasn't it? Hell yeah, it was. So, no, overall, great episode. Again, just thanks so much to the listeners for getting involved because. You know, I'm, I'm like a data freak, so I love data and it just amazes me when people who have never met each other, probably they have the same likes and they have no idea that they basically have a brother from another mother that loves the same music they do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it gives us idiots something to talk about and debate, which, uh, I always appreciate. (laughs) That's right. So, uh, once again, thanks for being involved. Like Sonny said, we hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a great debate. You can talk for hours on this stuff. And uh, certainly we've talked more than enough on this subject. So we're going to lay it to rest and get back with you guys next week for a totally different subject. So until then, have a wonderful week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.